Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. Series 6 of The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with outdoor footwear brand Merrill. I'm walking alongside a lake in Chalcote Park in Warwickshire, just south of Birmingham. It's a beautiful deer park, 180 acres of parkland, lots of herds of fallow deer and sheep, lots of beautiful birds. And I'm here to meet Kumbi Karewo, who is a nurse. She's also a passionate rock climber and she lives not too far away from here. And I want to find out from her why she loves rock climbing so much, why she's trying to get so many other people into it, and how the outdoors and rock climbing has helped her while being a nurse at the front lines during the COVID pandemic. It's not a bad spot to record a podcast. It's pretty beautiful, so I'm just gonna go and find her. Kumbi, thank you so much for coming on the Outdoors Fix podcast. Thank you for having me. Not at all. So we are in Chalcot Park in Warwickshire. Can you describe to people where we're sitting in Chalcot Park and what we can see? Okay, so at the moment we're in the middle of a field. Very peaceful. Typical English weather today. <laughs> the clouds, lots of cloud cover in the middle of summer. Um, I think it's just one of these places where you could just come and be reflective. When you're in the city where it's all go, I think it's just one of those places where you can take time out, be a one with nature, and it's on your doorstep. The outdoors and rock climbing is something you're massively passionate about. What is it that gets you, you know, why do you love it so much? One of the things about rock climbing is that you've got to be present in the moment. For me, it's one of those sports that challenges me, but also rewards me at the same time. I know a lot of people have um, linked it to mindfulness and I very much relate to mindfulness. And it just gives you that space, just just focus on yourself. It allows you to um, really work through your body. It allows you to, you know, explore what's going through your mind, what's happening to you physically. Last night I could, you know, my body was telling me, <laughs> we need to do more of this. And it reminded me, you know, although, you know, I was aching, you know, I came away just so chilled and I was like, okay, yes, this is why I love just being a rock climber. And how did you get into it? Were you outdoorsy and rock climbing when you grew up? Yes, um, so I was that child where your parents just have to think, how do we keep this child entertained? <laughs> <laughs> so um, they threw me to, into every sport going. So rock climbing was one of them. So my school, and I was quite privileged, so we got to do outdoor sessions. So either outdoor days or outdoor weekends away. And so I learned how to abseil, rock climb very early on. Um, our geography teacher, Miss Willows, amazing. She would take us on, you know, a girls weekend. We'd, you know, camp under the stars and um, we'd rock climb during the day. And so I suppose she taught us about her love of the outdoors. And so did that throughout my childhood. So I was never, you know, out, you know, in the city centre hanging out up to mischief. I was just pretty much in 
so we, well, we call it the bush. <laughs> so this, I want yeah. to explain, you grew up yep. in Zimbabwe. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, I suppose it would help to have some context there. Yes, so I um, grew up in Zimbabwe, very lucky in that um, I managed to live in all three major cities. So, um, so I was born in Mutare, which is the Eastern Highlands. So you'd compare that to the Lake District, so very green, oh, wow. lots of, you know, rain, mountains. And um, we then moved to Harare, which is the capital city, and then moved to Bulawayo. So always in the city. With anyone who lives in the city, it's you know, that opportunity, you know, to be out um, in the open, in the, in the wild. So I think just having a school that recognized that actually, although we're in the city, we need that space for our children to be educated, I think was just so vital because I think what you learn as a child, you actually take into adulthood. Mm. And so on reflection, I now know how privileged I was in being having that ability to learn and grow in that space. And you know, my school having the mindset of instilling that in us at a very young age. Yeah. So you moved over from Zimbabwe to the UK to go to university and study nursing. That's right. So you've said that you kind of had a pause in your outdoor pursuits, in effect, for a few years. Yeah. Why was that? And then how did you get back into it? At 17 and a half, my parents were like, where do you want to go to university? And I was like, where's far from home as possible? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'd actually been to England when I was 12. So we'd been here on holiday. So I was like, oh, I actually fancy going to England. And so my parents were like, okay, um, you know, look to see what you want to do. So I applied to the University of Huddersfield. I was, I was successful. And so packed you know, your bags as you do as, you ate, as an 18-year-old often on your adventures. Got here my first year and I was absolutely homesick. I think when you're here on holiday, it's such a short time you're with your family. And so coming here to university, culture change. So... As much as we speak the same language, um, there's a lot of things that are lost in translation. Um, So I remember people talking about patients and going, oh, they're poorly. And I was like, what? They've got no money. (laughs) Because for me, you know, I was literally taking the word and, you know, thinking it had just been adjusted slightly. And they're like, no, no, it means they're not well. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So struggled with not having my home comforts, struggled with I suppose not being understood in terms of things that I was trying to portray. The nursing course is full-time, so in terms of traditional university courses, you might be in uni two or three days, mm-hmm. whereas you know we're there five days a week. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose there wasn't a lot of time to actually do any sports away from the nursing course. The outdoors just wasn't on my radar because there was so much more happening in my life at that time. Yeah. And then how did you sort of discover rock climbing again? Because there are a lot of barriers to rock climbing in terms of you have to often have a car to be able to access the places. That's right. Um, And also the equipment is quite expensive and and it's, it's quite a hard sport to get into. So how did you rediscover it again? So um, I actually got a job in Birmingham as a family nurse in 2011. Started playing touch rugby. Oh, right. (laughs) And I'm sure you're wondering, how does touch rugby link to rock climbing? Two of my friends um, were playing touch rugby, but they were also rock climbers. Mm. And so they said, oh, we're going to our local climbing wall in West Brom. Do you want to come um, with us? Luckily, walls have higher shoes. So hired a pair of shoes first time we went. 
and so I was climbing like VBs. I think I'd climb three in, in you know, on like one session. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that was just like the hardest, yeah. you know, climbing session ever. And, it, and just to explain to the listeners, <laughs> yeah. on indoor walls, VB is sort of one of the easier levels, That's isn't right. it? Yeah. Yes, so very entry level. But actually what the climbing did is that it bought a space where we could just chill and relax after work, talk about ourselves, talk about work. And so it became a social space for me where I could exercise and just mm. connect with my friends. We started off climbing once a week and then stopped that for a bit because they um, then moved away from Birmingham. And then the depot um, opened and what they did, which was amazing, is they introduced ladies night. Mm. So ladies night um, allows you to socialize, gain new skills, technique, in a safe space. Um, I think the reason why Ladies Night was started was because traditionally there weren't a lot of women that climbed and they found coming into the sport was, um, which was dominated by men, quite a daunting thing to do. So they started climbing more, then that increased to three nights a week and then at that time someone started talking to me about roped climbing and so we've got a climbing center called red point mm -hmm. and so started rope climbing then the curiosity of going back outside mm. emerged because i was just like oh actually do you know what enjoyed it as a child it's like riding a bike all of a sudden like i'm in that space i want to go out outdoors and a lot of people and i recognize this and um, there's a challenge in transitioning from indoors to outdoors mm -hmm because normally when people are outdoors, um, they've got a climbing partner. And so it's trying to find a group that, you know, can take you outdoors. So um, what is amazing pre-COVID, so Extreme Sports Central would organize a number of weekends um, around the country, well, even in Wales as well. Mm -hmm. So we'd go Friday to Sunday, spend two days climbing outdoors. And so there wasn't the pressure of finding a climbing partner because yeah. um, it was arranged in a way that you got to climb as little or as much as you wanted. Um, friendly environment. Again, very fortunate that, you know, I found that space, that group of people that just embraced you as you were and, you know, just let you, you know, so you just got on with what you wanted to do. There wasn't a fixed way of doing things. Fantastic that you're able to get those opportunities through a club and that is something that for rock climbers is a great way into the sport. Going back to when you started to go outdoors with the climbing, with your club, um, where were you going? Were you going to Snowdonia? Because that, that's quite a popular place for trad climbing, which is the outdoors climbing where you place your own gear and you use ropes to get up the face of the wall. Were you, yeah, were those kind of the areas you were going to? Funny enough, no. So Snowdonia, um, in terms of that area, has been more recent. Um, initially with two friends of mine, Jen and Dom. Um, so they actually took me on my first multi-pitch climb last September and then over the last few months as you know Andy my partner because um, we climbed together although not as much as we um, wanted to so we've now been in Snowdonia more often than the other areas um, I think because we've got that partnership that allows us to pick and choose where we want to go whereas with the club um, you've got to ensure in terms of people's ability you can go where everyone can climb so we're more likely as a club to go to a crag um, because 
you've got you know a variety of climbs available from easy to hard mm -hmm. whereas if you're going out into Snowdonia and spending the day there you've got to make sure that everyone can climb you know to the ability mm -hmm. of the grade that you're going to I'd say we mostly went southwest so we went to like Horseshoe Quarry um, the Peak District yeah um, so they're shorter routes as well so um, if you're not liking a route you're on you're not that high up mm -hmm. you know so you can easily um, escape from a route whereas in yeah when you're climbing in Wales you've got to be more considerate because you're much higher up longer route so you know when you're 220 meters up suddenly it's yeah. a whole different ball game so yeah so more recently we've been there which takes me out of my comfort zone quite a lot because of that exposure but when we do finish a climb oh it's just so much more rewarding and I think because it's the two of us we can between the two of us assess what works whereas when you're considering 10 people I think it's a lot harder. Mm. When you're in Snowdonia then yes. where what are the areas that you tend to climb and, and how do you feel when you top out at the top of a route? We've mostly climbed in the Ogwen Valley and um, we've you know climbed a number of arets and buttresses we've also um, scrambled as well so you mm. can do a combination of climbing and scrambling I think for for me it um, stretches me in terms of you know climbing 220 meters up um, you're having to think about your technique trying to make sure you're climbing quickly because again time can be a factor and you're testing your body in different positions and so normally when I'm climbing I will take little videos um, I remember the one climb where I think I literally said Andy's first name and surname in full <laughs> because I think the situation we'd found ourselves in although it was safe but definitely out of my comfort zone and I was just thinking when I said yes push me I'm not sure whether this translated to this climb oh but he knows how I climb and he knows you know my capabilities so he knew it wasn't out of my ability so when we got to the top um, it was one of those moments where you've got a sense of achievement, a sense of relief. But I, I think that sense of reassurance that actually sometimes we place ourselves in a place where we doubt ourselves. Mm -hmm. But take it step by step, break it down, you know, section by section. It, it is actually doable. And I think the more you get to climb in the same area, the more your confidence builds because of the familiarity because if you think oh well I did that one last time so this one looks similar again use the same technique of breaking it down section by section and so it becomes quite doable hopefully we get m many more climbs where we I could do the same thing going to your job then yes. so your job is a nurse and I really am interested to hear what you what your role was during the pandemic because it's been a very very intense few months for you as for a lot of people on the front line in the NHS. And, and so tell me about your role and then also how rock climbing and the outdoors has helped you deal with the pressures of that. Rewind um, to March last year and um, I don't think any of us knew what was coming. So at that time, the West Midlands Ambulance Service had taken over 111. That's the non-emergency number. So if you have a health need, 
you can call them you know from having a headache through to stomach ache and um, they will direct you to the service that will best meet your health need so they were looking for people to um, come and support 111 because they were having five hour wait times for 111 and so we had to bolster the service so I believe within a couple of weeks they got 500 call assessors and I was one of them so with my clinical skills that supported the service the thing was because people hadn't traditionally used the number you had people who were calling in with an emergency through to 111 I remember my second call was the baby five days old and um, the baby was choking. Um, thankfully, I had my supervisor on call, so we were able to dispatch an ambulance there in five minutes. And I came off the call just going, <laughs> you know, these calls are going to come in. And so I ended up being redeployed with 111 for nine months, I had a variety of calls. In some situations, you know, you got to laugh and joke with your patients. Because I think sometimes in time of stress, if you can bring humour in, it helps them to calm down. In other situations, staying on the line um, until the ambulance got there, you know, breathing difficulties, um, women who'd gone into labour, um, you know, just making sure that that voice was there. So if you needed at any point to start walking them through CPR, you do that. So I did a number of CPR calls. Gosh service was quite supportive so you know you could come off your call you could put yourself in break mode um, and then you could step away from the phone take time recollect your thoughts because you never knew because literally as you answered the phone that's how you found out what the issue was I think if you're in a 999 environment you're thinking this call coming in is potentially life or death whereas at 111 you, you wouldn't necessarily think that, but actually that was some of um, the situations we faced. And so I think it made me see the reality of COVID. Um, seeing that, you then need to come away from that. You need to try and sleep. You need to try and look after yourself. And how do you get that space um, for your own emotional and mental well-being? So... In the lockdowns, obviously, we couldn't climb indoors, but I think when the, when the laws were relaxed and you could actually travel to any point for exercise, I started climbing again. Um, because for me, when you climb, you've got to be in that space in that moment, because if you're not, you're more likely to injure yourself because you're not focused. So it actually started giving me um, a way to completely break away from thinking about did I answer that last call correctly? Did I signpost them? Because the minute you put the phone down, that's it. You don't know what happens to that patient. Um, hopefully they get seen by this, you know, the service you've sent them to and everything turns out okay. So climbing, I think, was one of just a saving point for me because the mindfulness I was telling you about um, just came back into play. Um, it was very much, okay, can we stop? Okay. Put work on the side, put it in a box, close the lid, you're now climbing. Okay, you need to put, you know, one hand on the wall, second hand feet. And so literally just sounds like baby steps, but actually by doing that, I then actually came away from thinking about work, climbing, and that's then 
the break from you know all that emotionally draining work that you're doing and then you're then exhausted then you get home shower eat and then I was then able to sleep because I think that's the other thing that coming from work straight home your mind would just be playing those calls so climbing just allowed that break which I'm so thankful for you've spoken on social media a lot about your rock climbing and you've written articles about it you obviously want to encourage other people to get into rock climbing and and tell me why why do you think that's important I think it's one of those sports that has just given me so much and it saddens me that there's an exclusiveness um, which comes through um, one's financial means yet it can do so much for you. So um, a couple of months ago, now speaking with Shauna Coxie. Oh, um, she's the GB Team GP rock climber yes, just been at the Olympics. Exactly. Yeah. Inspirational. You know, you look at her climbing journey, um, you know, she talks about how she was fortunate that her dad you know, could drive her to places. And the outcome of our conversation, I was saying, could we start a climbing shoe bank? So if you were to go to a climbing wall, could we, you know, at any point get to a place where you can get a pair of shoes to call your own and actually that allows you to go climbing? Because if that is the limiter of you entering a sport, what do we have? Because, you know, we talk about the environment and sustainability. So rather than that pair of shoes going, you know, into a pile of rubbish somewhere, landfill, could someone who would love a pair of shoes that you know have been restored have that pair and actually enable them you know to come into the sport so how do we address the challenge of accessibility we've got a lot of sports companies who will go through a lot of stock how do we open up the discussion with those companies because um, I know I think there's um, a group called Kit Collective and they actually do that already. But how do we do this on a bigger scale? Could there be a program where they support us to actually, you know, give those to those who are in a situation that are saying, if I had the kit, I would start the sport. So, because each time if you go climbing, if you don't have your own pair of shoes, you have to hire. So that's an additional cost. So that's already disadvantaging you just at the point of entry. So if you had that pair, you know, that had been donated, that could be one less thing that you're not having to struggle to consider. The other one, which might not be financial, and I actually spoke about this um, on another talk that I did, um, it's the perceptions of being in the sport. So if you're black, and again, this hasn't been my experience, so I know um, some people who've said they've had a very difficult time so to come as the minority into a sport where they don't know what they're doing, they're meant to feel vulnerable, they don't feel comfortable being vulnerable, um, and therefore they then choose not to do it because of that. How do we make the sport more inclusive? So through the Women's Trad Festival, um, they did a series called Climbers Like Me, where I wrote about myself and I'm, you know, someone actually sent me a DM saying, oh my gosh, thank you for writing that. I'm now going to go book myself onto a climbing Amazing. session because I read, you know, what you wrote. You can be a role model for people to see that 
they, you know, you can give an example of how you got into it and they can follow your journey and, and hopefully inspire themselves. Definitely. I think it's how do you make people curious? And even Kamala Harris, you know, she was saying, my mom said, Kamala, you might be the first to do a lot of things, but make sure you're not the last. And yeah, sometimes it takes you seeing someone else and going, oh, they've done that. So I'm sure in my lifetime, I have seen lots of role models and gone, oh, wow, look at them doing that. Um, and so when I've wanted to try something different, I've been like, well, they've tried that and they were okay. I should be able to do that. And I think it's that snowball effect. So like I know my niece now, so she's actually tried climbing because, you know, when we were in Canada, I was there trying, because try, of the exchange rate, I was trying to buy a lot of my climbing kit. There. Nice. Yeah. And so she's going, so she's like got an American accent. She's like, Auntie, what are those? <laughs> so, you know, explained what climbing was, showed us some videos. She's like, oh gosh, that's cool. And so um, had a birthday party. So they had a climbing party. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that kind of example and then inspires others. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, she'll try it if she likes it. Brilliant. If she doesn't, at least she's had that opportunity yeah. where, you know, she tried it. Because I think half the battle is just trying it. What are your rock climbing goals, do you think? What would you love to be able to do and what are you working towards? I was talking to someone a couple of years ago in Kalimnos. They were like 70 and they were like climbing six A's. Wow. And I was like, how do you do it? And they were like, just do it every day. Wow. <laughs> and so for me, I was like, actually, do you know what? That is the ultimate goal is to just come and just be at one with climbing when I'm retired and just, you know, still have that as my passion and my go-to sport. So In think, 25 years, yeah. I'm going to ask you if you're still climbing, that will be... <laughs> that's brilliant. That's such a great yeah. goal. Brilliant. Yeah. Great goal. No, definitely. Can you sum up what the outdoors and rock climbing means to you? Rock climbing has been a lifesaver. I think more recently with the pandemic, it's just been my my escape i know people will use different methods you know as a form of escapism people will use drugs alcohol um laughter food so for me it's just been my escapism which has so many health benefits um it's been my social space I've got lifelong friends i've met my partner through it it's stretched me, it's challenged me, but it's also given me a sense of purpose. It's normalized me, you know, in a space where I've never spoken about race so much and questioned how I fit in, how I integrate. Actually, it's grounded me because I've looked at my climbing family, how they embrace me, how they welcome me, how they say, well, you could be. For them, it hasn't been the fact that, you know, I still sound Zimbabwean, I am black. You know, it's been about Kumbi who comes and brings fun, who brings a different angle, space, um, different knowledge base. So it's just been such a powerful space and an amazing community. And I guess for those that haven't experienced it, I'm happy for people to reach out and have that conversation because I just want people just to have that opportunity that, that I've had.
So Kumbi, who are the three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures? So I'd say my geography teacher, Miss Willows. So she was the first person in terms of being a child, not knowing what was out there and arranging the trips. So that was quite essential. Nina Caprez, she came to the Women's Climbing Symposium, which was hosted by Shauna Coxie. And just seeing what she does, um, just phenomenal, and how she climbs, just, you know, phenomenal. And she actually does it for the love of the sport. It's not about having, like, endorsements or being famous. You know, those have come with doing what she loves to do. And like when you follow her on Instagram and what she gets up to, it, there's just this rawness to what she does in a way that you're like, yes, this is the outdoors. I suppose for something to be popular, there has to be like a, a commercial element to it, which I get because that's the world we live in. But the way she does it, does it with, she does it with such authenticity. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that just inspires me because she's just at one with nature and just goes off on a trip um, disappears and comes back and and what I love is that there's the filming that allows us to see that mm. so that's the commercial element to it but it's done in a way that you can still see she's still one with nature mm. so I, I just love that and that's inspired me actually to kind of go okay if she's doing that why can't I do that so I suppose you know when I'm out in Snowden I'm there going oh, I'm Nina although <laughs> 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 we're many grades apart in our climbing <laughs> ability how about your third person then? The women, so the ladies night. Um, so being in a group with women who climb at the same level as you, who, um, you know, have the same struggles, who will be able to climb a route, you know, they'll show you a beta, makes you competitive. And then you think, okay, so if they're able to climb that route, um, I've seen the beta, what's stopping me and then you climb it you do it so there's that sense of you know camaraderie where you're willing each other on and before you know it you're all climbing much better than you know you've climbed before you have a good laugh oh, the other thing that helps is that there's always free tea and cake oh, yeah <laughs> quite an incentive can be tips then for people who really want to get into rock climbing are there any resources or um, groups that people can join yes there's the um, women's trad festival so they've got um, an instagram page they've got their um, own web page they um, have a festival each year um, they've recently done a series and they're continuing to doing a series of climbers like me where they're interviewing climbers from all walks of life and what they're hoping to show is that there's someone out there who looks like you who's climbing and you, you know there is that ability for you to relate see what challenges they faced and how they can inspire you to climb so i think just in terms of just reading that's um one great there is Beta Magazine, so this is a magazine specifically for women looking at climbing and again these are stories about you know women who just wanting to encourage other women um, how to get into climbing. 
you've got the Women's Climbing Symposium. So more recently, there've been online sessions that have been hosted. So from nutrition through to having a baby and still continuing to climb, uh, the psychology of climbing. Um, so they do come up with a variety of topics that you'd want to ask in relation to climbing. How about places that you would recommend for people to go outdoors climbing? You've got um, the BMC, so that's the British Mountaineering Council. And um, on there, they've got a list of places that you can go. And they have so many recommendations. Um, they'll tell you in terms of access. So I'd say, I, I could name a lot of places, but I'd say if you go through the BMC, that would be a good starting point. You've also got um, UKC. So again, you could go through them and they also give you different options of where to climb. Yeah, there's, there's so many you know, places where you can get resources of where to climb, but those tend to be like the main um, places in terms of finding out information about where you'd like to climb that I found. I'd um, advise on insurance. So as a climber, um, I'm a member of the BMC. So that allows you to have climbing insurance, insurance. So whether you get injured or you injure someone, I think it's important to be insured because it is it is a dangerous sport, and I think we need to recognise that. And so the BMC allows you, you know, to insure yourself. So um, as a club, um, we have third-party membership. So if people are thinking, how do I, you know, get membership? So you could get it directly through the BMC or um, a lot of clubs will have their own but it's third-party insurance so I think you need to ensure that you've done your homework around what type of insurance you have but definitely worth having it mm. the other thing as well um, I think you know since free solos you know, and the Olympics we're going to get a new you know crowd of people climbing so suppose it's one of the things for me um, about protecting our environment um, leave no trace because um, we've been out more recently and there's more litter less consideration but our environment will only give back to us as much as we take care of it so this is for anyone um, who's going outdoors if you bring it with you take it back with you um, so that's just you know my simple plea just us taking care of our environment because I want it for my lifetime and I want it for the next generation's lifetime and with the climate crisis is the way it currently stands you know we're not in a good place but we are in a place to you know bring that change so you know let, let's do it. thank you so much it's been so interesting to talk to you about how you discovered rock climbing and how you want others to get into it um, so thank you very much no thank you no thank you for finding me and um, you know providing the space because your platform has given me the opportunity for my voice to be heard so I hope you know listeners relate to it and um, you know please continue looking for individuals like me who you, we wouldn't necessarily think to approach or talk to you um, who might be quirky because actually this gives us the space to allow someone 
you might consider wanting to do something different to do it by you know coming onto your platform listening and having that you know ability to just engage in something different good oh thank you and also let's um we'll go and finish our walk shall we it's a pretty yes. gorgeous day still so how lucky um, is this yeah yeah so we'll finish our walk around the deer park and um, what a lovely afternoon yes fabulous thank you Thank you for listening to Kumbi's episode. You can see photos of our recording and Kumbi's rock climbing adventures on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at the Outdoors Fix. You'll also find her on Instagram at here underscore climbs underscore crumbles with a K. If you want to make the outdoors a bigger part of your life, why not get inspired by some of my other guests? People like Laura Doling, who moved from Essex to become a postie in the Lake District. Just have a browse through the dozens of previous episodes of The Outdoors Fix. If you like The Outdoors Fix podcast, it would be brilliant if you could rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and if you could tell your friends and family about it to help spread the word. Regular listeners of The Outdoors Fix will know that I end each episode with some sounds of nature. So now it's that time to take a short moment to relax and listen to one of my favourite sounds, which is the sea crashing onto a pebble beach in Devon. I hope you enjoy it. This episode of The Outdoors Fix was supported by outdoor footwear brand Merrill. Merrill is launching a year-long campaign called Hashtag Step Further to encourage people from all walks of life to get outdoors on a micro-adventure to experience the benefits for both their physical and mental health.